Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Ria Rustagi and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Newfini, India's first brain wearable device, which is meant to monitor your uh, mental well-being, your stress focus levels. And uh, you all are uh, welcome to the episode, uh, to our podcast, uh, Feel It in Your Brain. And today, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Today, we have Jisdeep Mago from uh, Invisible Illness India, and she's the founder. She's a psychotherapist. And thank you so much, Jisdeep, for joining us uh, for this podcast today. Thank you so much for having me here, Ria. Uh, I'm so glad people are having conversations around mental health. And I'm really happy to be affiliated with another female entrepreneur. So. Thank Happy you. to be here. So Jasdeep, uh, you have been in this field for at least uh, two times or three times uh, longer than me. And actually, I'll also consider you're actually professionally also in this field, like your studies were in the field of mental well-being, mental health. I've just three years into mental health, understanding this and doing it from an engineer's perspective. Uh Okay, so what was it that first uh, made you go for psychotherapy? Why did you want to become a psychotherapist? So uh, I actually studied neuropsychology. I didn't study psychotherapy. And uh, I, from neuropsychology, I uh, the reason I wanted to study psychology in general, because, you know, specializing in it is totally different from having the first interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have any reason of why I wanted to do it. Um, to be very honest, I was a lost teenager and um, my French teacher, when I was learning French in the 12th grade, my French teacher just randomly one day told me that, uh, you know, you have really good perception of human beings and you're uh, very, uh, very in like your intuition is very aligned with other human beings emotions uh and maybe you should do something in that space and I just said okay and um I literally went home and I was like okay I'm going to start reading about psychology and then figure out if I want to do this and I read like one book uh on psychology and I, I don't even remember what I read to be very honest and I was just like okay I'm, I want to do this I don't really I didn't really have any massive dreams and ambitions. And I was just some lost child who somebody said that you will be good at this. And I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And I don't think I ever look back from there. <laughs> so. Oh my God. Okay. that that That's nice because I think uh, a lot of people, like I think like that was engineering for me because engineering was so common. And I ended up, I loved what I ended up doing. Uh, but that there was no background story like you know there was no solid motivation like I saw this and I wanted to open things and there was nothing like this when I wanted to become an engineer so I'm glad that uh, it's not just the engineers people also go into psychology uh, because it's just as a beginning step and they find their love in it during the process okay so now you did neuropsychology but then you also became like co-founder. You became a founder, sorry. You became an entrepreneur. Yeah. You have your own company. And that's this is like, okay, yeah. the two things. So like now entrepreneurship has become cool and everything, but it's a very challenging path. And psychology, <laughs> I, I love your expressions, by the way, like, no. <laughs> oh my God, I can't. If I have to talk about entrepreneurship, I think I might cry. It's just, it's just the scariest journey ever. I feel like people don't um, 
people talk about only you know like the glam glamour mm-hmm. and glorified versions of entrepreneurship to everyone listening to this you have to know it is so hard it is so hard like <laughs> i i know like i think i also didn't i had no idea like i i was not even fascinated by entrepreneurship let me put it like that <laughs> same same i have no was idea you... how i got into this position <laughs> now you have to tell us then how you got into the position you have to tell us what was it that triggered you because for people i hate it my father was an entrepreneur and i was like why are you doing this to yourself you know you must be some sort of crazy person to want to do this intentionally to yourself where you are taking calls there's no personal life why do you do this that was my thought process and i was like father, my father was like okay we'll to get you married into a business family and i was like married i can't even tolerate business people and now he's like you become a business i'm like Oh my god I don't know what it was what was the moment yeah there is a story but what was your story that took you from oh my god I don't I'm not fascinated by entrepreneurship to being one yourself um so to be very honest I when when we see when I even started my journey with invisible illness it wasn't uh, like before I get into the story of it but it wasn't I didn't see it as like me starting a company. I literally so in in uh June of uh 2017 um we all uh but when I say we I mean me and my friend circle we all suffered a really great loss where we uh, a really good friend of ours committed suicide and for a lot of us we didn't know that he was struggling we didn't know that he was going through treatment uh, etc uh but there were there was a good part of like people who like good part of our group that knew that okay he's been going he's been going for therapy he's on medication he's severely depressed etc uh but when when it happened i think it what what the impact it had on us as a, a community like just as our small community that we are was tremendous and um at the, at that point i because i am from the uh, mental health space i had i mean i had done i just returned i'd done my masters i was working in the space of neuropsychology and i and and i think my what really hit me the most was that nobody um was talking about it appropriately yeah. like everyone thought that oh he committed suicide because of a girl or because of something like that and i think that bothered me too much like it bothered me too much with, with the whole sense that nobody knows that there are so many layers of it um also at the same time i was uh, i i was undergoing a treatment for clinical depression myself i was severely depressed myself i was in therapy for the past 6 months i was on medication for 4 months already and i was in a really really dark space actually when this happened so when i when this happened i i just looked at it as so i mean firstly trigger warning for whoever is listening to this but um suicide has has something called as a copycat effect basically which means that either you can feel like okay you know what this person did was right and i should also do it uh, and or you can feel like okay no you know you've really learned and you don't want to do this and usually when when suicides take place in the same 
circle or in the same community or in the same society very close to time another one does take place because it does like i mentioned has a copycat effect and i was in that place where i was like so 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 depressed myself and i was in a space where i was contemplating you know hurting myself or harming myself in some way or the other and then when this happened i think it woke me up more than anything and it made me realize that look at what is happening around you because uh of you know some one person's pain and grief and because we as a community couldn't help him what happened to him and now look what's happening to all of us because we were all devastated it it broke all of us it broke our friendships it broke our circle it broke everything because i think you don't realize uh the impact of one person until that person is gone and um that for me was just like okay you know i need to do something about this because i'm from the mental health space and he didn't even think about coming and talking to me which sucks it really sucks because the whole point about doing what i do is to help people and if i can't even help my immediate community or my immediate friends circle then i'm clearly failing and failing badly so i i i think that was just like wake up call after wake up call after wake up call that i was just like i need to do something and we started off with like we all, i brought all of us together uh like we are like uh, we were a group of 20 25 of us who were close to him and i brought everyone together and i you know requested them or sort of like encouraged them to be like let's do something about this let's raise the right of kind of awareness let's you know remember him for the right things you know like yes what happened was really sad but we can turn it into something you know like we can turn up pain into passion in some way and we crowdfunded an event where we had 1800 people we had a crowd of 1800 people where we did a large scale public awareness event on suicide prevention and the whole event was targeted towards understanding mental health from a perspective of art so either through dance through poetry through music uh, all of these ways and the that the point was that we need to make mental health consumable for people you know we need to make it understandable easy to comprehend something they want to listen to not like oh they see some discussion happening and they are just they turn, they roll their eyes and walk away right uh, the whole idea was that if you see someone dancing someone saying poetry someone singing but they're talking from their heart they are talking about their struggle they have a way to communicate that then and honestly our event was so 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 successful none of us really like i i totally didn't imagine that happening at all and from there on i was just like okay there is no turning back now you know like now this is this is what i'm doing to do and of course we pivoted a lot because we started as a suicide prevention uh, initiative we were not a company we were not a anything we were just an initiative to help raise awareness and we did that for two years you know we were just doing awareness events we were just going to schools colleges talking about suicide prevention and things like that we were not a business i was not a founder i was just somebody who was like trying to make an impact and eventually i think we sort of like decided that okay i want to formalize this i want to make this a real thing i want to continue to contribute to this cause and several such causes and uh, yeah that's i guess <laughs> we pivoted a lot i mean i i we, we now we don't 
work directly in the space of suicide awareness, suicide prevention awareness. But um, I think we found our calling and we found our specialty in an area and that's what we focus on now. So, so you're still working with those set of people and friends who were there in your first uh, workshop? Um, they are they are an integral part of what we do because, um, I mean, they're not a part of the company, they're not a part of the business, but they're an integral part of our support it's system and our community. Wow, yeah. that's that's amazing. So, okay, uh, I have so many questions. I've noted about the points. Okay, so first question. You mentioned that you had clinical depression. Uh, can you talk mm-hmm. and share a little bit about that? When was it? Where were you in your journey? Were you studying? And uh, how did you first got... Obviously, you were studying, so it was, I think, a little bit easier to accept or was it more challenging? So can you just put a little bit light on that aspect first? Sure. So um, I had just returned back from university. I was studying in the UK for one year. I had just come back and um, there was a lot of changes taking place in my life. My brother was getting married. My house was being like we were moving houses uh, I just moved back and I didn't have any direction of what I'm doing because the field of like it just like when I moved back it hit me that the field of neuropsychology doesn't exist here there were a lot of changes in my life personally like relationships friendships um, and I think I just was uh, ambushed by life and changes and um, it took some time for my brain to adapt to that and in the midst of it adapting to that I think it was just exhausted and it just like I felt like my brain just shut down you know um but I had a lot of anxiety and that was the first thing that I noticed was the tremendous amount of anxiety I had uh I've had anxiety my whole life but I think it just increased like tenfold so I that was my first sort of symptom that I noticed and like you mentioned honestly for me I know mental health issues so well that I feel like it wasn't even it wasn't even a thought. I just knew. And I, I the day I knew, I, that's the day I seeked help. I didn't even wait. Like, I didn't even think. I didn't wait. I didn't ponder over it. I didn't discuss it with anybody. I just was like, I need help. I'm going to get help. And that's it. And then I'll discuss it with whoever I want to discuss it. And that I really that's exactly what it is. And learn from this thing is that there was so much education that you had got around mental health because of the field that you were in. But let's just say, Let's take the field aspect out, but let's say there was education with regards to mental health so much <coughs> for you, it was not even a thought that this is not okay or this is not normal or something like that. Like it's just except you know so much about fever that you know it's fever and it's okay. Yeah. When there is uncertainty or when you don't know, when there's lack of knowledge, then you get scared. Then there's a fear that it's unknown, it's uncommon. And I think that is a very important learning because for me, I have PTSD and I didn't know I have PTSD. I started working on Euphony, got passionate about mental health, started learning about that, tried some techniques. Uh, I have Mm -hmm. my elder sister had passed away. So obviously there was a traumatic Mm -hmm. experience, but a lot of people go through this. So I didn't know what I was having was pain or Mm -hmm. was it 
was it so unprocessed because i also since my childhood have had have had anxiety all my life like mm-hmm. uh, there was a small time uh, so not small time actually a year where i was kind of depressed where um, because of academic pressure and i was not doing well in mm-hmm. studies and i always did well in studies like you know mm-hmm. it was like my thing was being good at studies and then i did not good uh, did uh, good uh, for my masters i fell into depression i got agitated unnecessary anger unnecessary mood swings left unprocessed then finally got admission became happy temporarily had anxiety uh social then i got into social anxiety because i was living abroad then the sister thing mm-hmm. happened and that all of them went into ptsd because so much was mm-hmm. unprocessed for so long and then the trauma just pushed it and like pulled it to the other edge of it and yeah. it was during creating newphony that i started to learn these words ptsd adhd autism mm-hmm. schizophrenia mm-hmm. that these words awareness and what i was feeling and what i was trying and testing on myself mm-hmm. and then the eg aspect came but it was the education mm-hmm. that helped me accept it and also now be okay with it you know so i really like a live a lot of our stories are similar because we didn't like entrepreneurship mm-hmm. we had knowledge of mental well being and hence we ended up kind of accepting our journeys very easily and it's not a thing like i can yeah go anywhere and talk about this and i think the same is with you because of the field that we are in uh mm-hmm. you went for therapy i didn't go for ptsd therapy but you went for therapy how long did it last there is a okay so first and second people say therapy is forever mental health issues you never get over it i'm telling you two three things that i have heard, heard in the past two years a lot from psychotherapists unfortunately and from patients so i want you to talk about it because you have the degrees for it and you have as a, also a customer of it you have been through that experience as a client mm-hmm. first mental health issues are forever can they be treated how did your clinical depression got treated if it got and second people say therapy is forever so can you just talk about these aspect ones okay <laughs> <laughs> okay this is this is really funny because uh so i i mean i honestly always talk about uh, the fact that i have been on both sides of the therapy table and my perspective always comes from both sides of that table and uh, a lot of people a lot of therapists will say that um you have to be on both sides of the therapy table but i didn't do it because i had to do it i did it because i was suffering uh, i didn't do it as a part of my curriculum i didn't do it as a part of my education which is why usually therapists go for therapy is it is because I, it's a part of their new. curriculum this is new i mean you have to be you have to know what it feels like to be on the other side of the table to be you know have it, have that perspective so it's a part of the curriculum but i didn't do it for those reasons i did it because of actual um, you know as they call it mdd which is major depressive disorder um and so firstly uh, mental health it like mental health issues in general they they run on a spectrum so you, uh, there are there are going to be points in your life where that issue is on the lower side of the spectrum which means your if it's out of 10 if you're looking at it you're at a 1 or a 2 so there are times in my life where say when i say that i've had anxiety my whole life 
now people will say that okay so you are going to have it for the rest of your life which is probably true uh however they it runs on a spectrum which means that i can have a one or two level of anxiety for say 10 years and then there be periods in the middle where it can be at a 10 or at a 9 or at an 8 um so it runs on a spectrum and that's the same thing with depression i do know that uh, some someone with with my genetic uh, history in the sense of uh, at least seven women in my family have had depression so i know that it has a genetic compound which means that there are going to be points in my life where i will have depressive episodes they will come and go doesn't mean i'm permanently depressed doesn't mean i have permanent clinical depression for the rest of my life and i need to constantly be on medication uh so that's again it runs on a spectrum and it's very dependent on your genetics and on your lifestyle triggers and your lifestyle in general that is part of the to answer the first half of your question which is mental health concerns are lifestyle are lifelong second was therapy is lifelong so to be very honest i have uh, been when i when i'm i'm going to speak from both perspectives one is now i'm speaking as the therapist most people who come to me for therapy and who have um very long term problems like now when i say long term problems i mean bipolar disorder borderline personality disorder or any personality disorders they prefer to have regular monitoring and it is a preferred method for those disorders yes somebody else who has transient or generalized anxiety or has depressive episodes on and off may not need therapy lifelong and may not even want it lifelong um but from my experience as a therapist i have found that people want and choose to be in therapy consistently because it gives them a sense of grounding nothing else it's not like every week they are having some massive revelations in their life but it gives them a sense of grounding it puts it makes them feel stable safe and secure and therefore they do it now talking as a client in therapy so i have i do have a therapist currently as well i do what we call maintenance sessions um which is basically i i'll speak to her once a month just to keep a check on my mental health because i know i have tendencies of having a uh, panic disorder generalized anxiety and i have had a severe history of depression so i do want to ensure i when i when i'm declining i know i'm declining right. and i'm very mindful of my mental health in general and because for me i i mean it goes without saying there is nothing without mental health so for me i mean that's at the top of my priority list at all times um so from it's something i do as maintenance doesn't mean that i i i need it it's something i can also do as maintenance with my friends to be very honest it's not like because that but please keep in mind i'm saying this because i am very self aware i know all the tools i know how to keep a check on myself i know how to self monitor you cannot do this with your friends if you do not have that level of self awareness i can do it because i do have that level i don't want to be spreading the wrong message which is why i'm saying this uh, so specifically um but i do maintain in sessions and as of now the way i see it i feel like it's it's a healthy lifestyle for me to have that i have um a periodic check it's like doing a blood test every month correct right. why why not do this and um i feel like 
being in therapy your whole life or not is a personal choice it's not right. something you have to do Exactly. So I hope that answers both your questions. Actually, it does because I I also kind of uh, like believe what you say because I believe uh, therapy can really help you in the initial periods in accepting being aware of what is happening because there is so much unprocessed in our day to day lives which goes to the subconscious that we don't know how to deal. It's like. Uh, too much is coming like you know too much is happening and it's all of a sudden it feels like a uh, sandstorm or something like that thunderstorm and you don't know how to deal and they give you these tools and techniques help you calm down eventually you can either life can keep throwing things at you that you would want to be in regular checks as you said or it can happen that because of the life and the self awareness that you've developed you have the tools that you can do it by yourself or with your friends or with your family or however which ways but it's just right. depends on person to person so the fact that therapy yeah. forever is not right some people might need it some people might not so it's not that if you once enter into therapy you will end up doing it until your 70s or 70s absolutely not guys please know that i've had clients who would come to me been in therapy with me for 3 months 3 months was the time i even gave them after that never seen them again so please know that this, <laughs> it's really not a lifelong process this is, i would be i mean working on yourself is a lifelong process that i will say for sure but you don't have to be in therapy for that you can work on yourself on your own also <laughs> the same is with the right you i actually always give this example when i talk like it's like physical health when you first go to the gym you need yeah. a trainer because you don't know how to use those machines and you don't know how to balance the food because everybody's following a fad diet or some diet and you don't know what will work for your body so you need some expert advice now some people would want a trainer forever because they don't want to put their mind into it and some people would be like they themselves sometimes become trainers and they become so good at it that it can work however which way perfect now Absolutely. i have two questions before we end this one why corporate wellness what was the journey that kind of were you able to like there's a very recent study by deloitte which says that a, a major reason of your stress comes from your work life was it that that brought you into corporate wellness or do you thought that it is more easier to get it accessible to people in a country like india where they are spending a major chunk of their time working either their work becomes the reason or their work becomes a distraction um okay uh so the reason i chose corporate wellbeing there are i mean i there's no 100% of one reason so it's a combination of a few things so firstly uh, because we were pivoting so much we were pivot and I, i want to explain why we were pivoting is because no matter what we did um uh, there were because mental health honestly in the last 3 years has become a really big deal yeah. no one even spoke about this before that and i have been in this field for over 12 years so wow. for me i have been struggling with that thought process of human beings for that long like 12 minus 3 9 years i've been struggling with that so because last 3 years now everybody suddenly wants to do something mental health related but uske pehle nobody like to put it crassly kisi ko ghanta farak nahi padta tha you know like <laughs> like literally 
okay so when we were working in the beginning i was trying to work i wanted to work on the grassroots level with students and teachers and work on emotional intelligence in in schools right um if anyone has ever worked in worked with a school in india they know that it's a supremely monopolized space that is controlled by trustees and trust funds which means that getting an in into this community is near to impossible unless you have that yourself um after struggling in that space for two years i decided that clearly i need to build my name somewhere else and then use that name to impact this community and that's what we chose to do that was one part of the reason the other part of the reason of why we selected corporate wellbeing was because in 2017 who announced um, that india is the world's most depressed country which means that um, and through their research they understood that the largest population of this depressed country is coming from the working population now looking at the statistics within india the working population of our country will is um, young adults which means they are between 20 and 45 and that means the youth of our nation is depressed which is like which means that the you know future of our nation is in the hands of people who may not even make it to the future because of their mental health struggles and a large part of this research spoke about how the uh, contribution of the workspace was a huge factor in them leading uh, in in leading to these uh, these uh, uh, you know mental health issues whether it's stress burnout anxiety depression which were the top four you know issues that came up in the survey uh, at that point i and that point a lot of uh, there was a lot in the news about office suicides which was something that really hit very hard uh, for me because um i i think that I, i mean i think you know suicide has always been something that i mean from the get go of our from the beginning of where we come from so for me that really hit home in a sort in a not so pleasant way and i just like okay you know what this is the space that i want to work in it took me a year and a half to formulate um you know i i studied emotional intelligence for workplaces i got a trainer and a facilitator's degree and a diploma in that uh, after that i started to formulate um, plan, uh, like training sessions for higher managers uh, which took me a year and a half to do uh, after creating those whole plans uh, you know not just plans like you know training modules assessments all of those things that i worked on with like me and a couple of other mental health professionals um that's when i was just like okay you know what now i'm like ready to roll this out and um the pandemic hit at that very time which sort of worked in our favor because then companies were like okay we need this and i was like oh great so i don't have to manage my uh, time to do awareness anymore because thankfully that's already there now okay. so um i can roll out what i've actually you know been working on for such a long time and Yeah that's why we selected uh, you know workplace wellbeing and i think that we made the right choice because uh we can actually use those funds then to do work that we uh think we, we wanted to grassroots level work as well right okay. like so now i if, even if i do that pro bono i don't i'm not like bleeding into my own pockets um 
I, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy impacting both sides of the community. One which you know earns a living, and the other one that doesn't. That's totally fine. Really yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Actually, just deep for sharing this. So now we know. Now we know that why you entered into the corporate space. Can you? Generally, people think, and I'm just basing this on my limited experience. People think that emotional intelligence means being emotional and I'm being very layman at it and means being vulnerable. And this is something that you should definitely not do at your workplace. Can you comment <laughs> on that? <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm always constantly reminded every time I go to a corporate, I'm constantly reminded that, um, you know, like in sly ways, people will be like, but emotions is like, this is not a place. It's not where they're, they, they don't belong at a workplace, like leave them at the door, things like that. You know, like there's always comments made like that. Um, but I think what people don't understand is that emotional intelligence has, um, is very, uh, okay, no, let me break this down. Actually, yeah. <laughs> um, controversial question for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> no so I think what people don't understand is that you cannot have a rational mind without having emotions like the whole uh, concept of you have to think rationally from your brain and don't think from your heart that concept doesn't exist both those thoughts exist here only like you know uh, so I think what people don't understand is that without having emotions we would not be able to make rational decisions also or we wouldn't be able to make decisions at all now the idea of emotional intelligence is to have the right balance of those emotions is the idea of knowing how to manage, um, not just manage, is first to identify, recognize, manage your emotions and those of others. So the capability of being able to do that uh, and sync those two correctly is what emotional intelligence is. And it takes immense amount of training to be able to not just like let alone help others but first help yourself like exactly. lo lots of people don't have any sense of self-awareness of why they're feeling angry why they're feeling insecure why they're feeling down and low why certain things trigger them uh especially at workplaces right like why did um you know my boss said something to me which to somebody else seemed very casual just like you know you need to do better for example right. but to me that affected me so badly but for someone else they're like he just said to do better na? I'll, I'll deal with it but for me it really affected me it really brought me down and really you know like why why did that happen like most people won't even know how to self-recognize they don't know how to acknowledge that there is a deep-rooted background story to that you know like how you mentioned that um when you didn't do well in a certain exam, it really affected you and made and it led you into depression. Whereas for someone else, they would just brush that off and be like, But for you, your identity somewhere was set into that belief of I'm good at this. Exactly. And I have to be good at this. And that pressure of, you know, like 
that internal pressure that i i if i'm not good at this then what am i good at exactly it was you literally know? it at that moment felt like make it or break it you know if if this is not it then it's the end of it, the whole thing you know it felt like that exactly exactly and i totally understand that um and that comes and that's different for everybody right for you it was that like it was make it or break it, it was an all or nothing thinking Exactly. but to have that awareness in that moment is what we teach is what emotional intelligence is the training of recognizing your own drawbacks internally when i say drawbacks i mean your own insecurities your fears which lead to a lot of emotional turmoil at a workplace which lead to a lot of um you know emotional displacement like someone said something to me i displaced that anger on somebody else i wasn't able yes. to manage it i had an outburst i had a breakdown uh, or it it piled up piled up piled up and then led to a massive anxiety attack in a meeting in front of so many people instead of getting to that point the whole idea is how do i do this myself how do i be more emotionally agile how do i learn to um uh you know be empathetic towards me and towards those around me and especially for people who are in managerial positions who are in leadership positions they are managing teams that and those teams i mean i think people forget is that teams are formulated by humans and you're forgetting that there's a human behind this you know this report that they've sent you there's a human behind this excel sheet mm-hmm. and you're totally forgetting that that human being has an array of emotions they are allowed to have at any given point uh but it's your job as a manager and a leader to be able to guide them on how to or navigate them on how to man- manage those emotions and manage their relationships within an organization and that's what we primarily teach and that's why emotional intelligence is so important because a we are never taught these things you know how we are taught first aid like in if you think back to school you're taught like if you fall down what should you do you go wash the wound make sure it's clean put detol put a you know saffromycin cover it with something make sure it doesn't get dirty as a prostic na ho jaye yeah there's a step wise five step process with mental health it's like you're sad don't be sad <laughs> you're angry anger is not good don't be angry I mean, where is the stepwise process of dealing with these emotions, which I'm going to have for the rest of my life? But your answer for me having these emotions is, "Buri baat hai, gussa nahi karte, buri baat hai." Like exactly. literally, we are always told that don't cry, don't get angry, don't shout, don't scream. Then so what should I do? Doesn't that also? Oh wow! Okay, exactly. This is starting to be too fun. Okay, fun in the sense like I'm really enjoying this. Uh, okay, so. Uh, again i'm so sorry you you the things that you're saying is triggering so many questions do you think uh that our parents used to say these things so much and i'm i'll tell i'm telling you out of this out of my personal and experience my friends my office every person that i'm in connect with i uh, i like call my husband a semi robot and i also feel that i am like that just fyi uh, in the sense of not towards our company not towards uh, anything and that we always make sure that we are very emotionally aware and sensitive to people but sometimes it's difficult to feel these emotions and the reason why i am asking you these questions is is it because of the things that our parents said to us 
uh, when somebody constantly for 20 25 years tells you don't feel don't feel anger don't be verbal don't be vocal don't get angry don't be upset don't cry and i remember uh, my bra- my younger brother when he used to cry as a kid uh, we used to uh, be like you know are ladki kon rote hai we used to be like that and we were very young we were very young he was only 3 years younger to me so mm-hmm. i was 6 he was 3 i was 9 he was 6 mm-hmm. so we used to say those things and at that point obviously our parents our society nobody stopped us and that we as kids learn from the society right so do you think mm-hmm. the generation and i'm not speaking for me or my family or my husband but i'm speaking for the people that i'm associated with our generation right now the people who are in their let's say 20s to 30s the millennials and the gen z do you feel they mm-hmm. uh, do you think that they have less emotions in feeling those emotions is because of the limitations that was said set as kids and then now it becomes difficult now it does become difficult to be honest so um <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, another thing that I'm always told is, <laughs> is तुम therapist तो सब parents के ही पीछे पड़े रहते हो। So I'm going to, I'm going to try and not blame the parents so much because let's say society. Correct. I'm going to look at this in by and large because <laughs> parents are also coming from a conditioning of society. So I don't think that they are wrong. They were not taught correctly, and therefore. Passed on, passed on, passed on. So <laughs> before I get hate from every parent that ever. No, no, we we will we will make sure. Sir, तुम्हारी गलती नहीं है. Relax, okay. And I'm not. It's not a blame game, okay. It's just about having identification, not blaming. Um. So yes, by and large, this does come from a sense of conditioning that we have developed from society. Um. And we. like you said you know our entire generation and it's it's called generational conditioning you know it's like our entire generation is conditioned to have these beliefs uh because of what we were constantly told or demonstrated even if we were like, told it exactly we're still watching exactly. children are so observant they are looking at everything and they are like it's getting etched into their memory because right. their memory is empty you have to remember that they have uh-huh. zero it's empty so whatever is they are seeing is getting filled into it and whether you've said it in so many words or not your actions can speak volumes um it really is not about your parents outrightly being like or society or or you know sometimes teachers uncles aunts in general uh, it's not them saying it as much as them demonstrating it um so um yes i definitely agree that it comes from that that it's very difficult to undo conditioning very 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 difficult to undo conditioning okay. it's not impossible it's okay. difficult but not impossible and there are people all around the world who undo it and you know um recondition or relearn you know yeah. the whole process of how you see yourself how you see your emotions how you see people around you in general so um yeah it comes from that but it doesn't mean it's permanent and has to stay you know we can't constantly blame our past for where we are today when your children you don't have uh, autonomy or don't have control but as an adult you do so we have to let go of the fact that it wasn't told to me so i don't do it that is correct gone in the past now you're totally responsible for yourself today 
just yesterday i was talking to uh, somebody very close uh, that there is exactly this that there is identification and acceptance but there is i think i don't know maybe i used the wrong word there was too much acceptance that see i am this i'm not going to change she she forgot mm-hmm. the last step which is modification like what i call that mm-hmm. like, where you have to change now now i do accept that yes there were reasons for the generations gen z and millennials to be like this but now that we i have accepted it or even my husband he uh, we are modifying it and obviously there are you know mm-hmm. there is neuroscience there's proper science behind how you can do this and why actually the changes and everything works um now just on my concluding step uh does so i'll just you just have to be true or false okay so emotional okay. intelligence as is directly associated to compassion no i so mean they are social intelligent and still you might not be as compassionate human being uh, no false exactly so no. they are both are connected yeah. exactly yes they are both very much connected yeah, yeah. Uh, emotional intelligence and being compassionate so let's just call it emotional intelligence requires you to be a little bit selfless little bit selfless yeah. um because then you are trying controversially way to way to know. the question <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh, uh yes a little so, bit that's why i said a little bit because i have yeah. as an as an uh in a managerial position i've been in situations where i've been told things or i've been i've heard things which were not correct and if i was their colleague i would have behaved in a different manner but since i am the employer in a mental well being space passionate about it i had to be very well very emotionally aware intelligent about it be selfless not put my personal emotion as a person into it not take it personally and make sure that this because i believe Uh, leaders are like somewhat like parents uh, and they can mm-hmm. actually make uh, like i actually they might be also my age two or three years younger to me but it completely changes the way your team thinks behaves whatever you know you can Absolutely. set the priorities upright uh, with the way yeah. how of a manager you are so for me that's what i meant by selflessness because you i might be hurt but i still have to care about mm-hmm. your emotion because while your pain and my pain there is no quantification who which one is greater or which is more important in that particular aspect of it yeah i think uh, that's a huge part of emotional intelligence is knowing where to end your emotions and begin somebody exactly. else's like that's what i said uh, selflessness yeah then definitely uh, true yeah then uh, being uh, would emotionally intelligent be directly associated to be being vulnerable or completely opposite that actually it empowers you to the extent that now nothing bothers you because you know like you can come and say anything to me but i know myself and it's not the ego end of it but it's more like mm-hmm. i know me you might not understand mm-hmm. me so i'm going to give you that leverage but does mm-hmm. that uh, does in being emotionally intelligent empower you or weaken you it empowers you because it makes you but not for, not in the way that you said it it empowers you because uh 
knowing your emotions recognizing them and giving yourself time to sit with them is what empowerment is not knowing it knowing it is not enough for it to go away okay doesn't self awareness doesn't mean uh, that oh, your problems are gone it just means you're self aware about your problems right. and you can actually self help then so that's the empowerment that it gives you it gives you awareness as well as uh, you know tools to uh, be able to self soothe so that's the empowerment so the last question then being that if i know i am a person who gets distracted easily or i am a person where these are my trigger points where i know what is good for me what is not good for me what puts me into those modes that is not usually being emotionally intelligent or fully being emotionally intelligent if we have to quantify it but being able to have a sense of control with regards to managing it modifying it yeah. and also letting go so i'm not just saying control but also let go mm-hmm. combination would be the ideal set and not just the awareness correct absolutely awareness is just step 1 it's just the beginning of the story the rest of it has to still be written so yeah perfect and with this we would like to come to the end of our episode with just deep oh my god it was so fun i had a lot of questions which i didn't cover at all because this conversation became too interesting and i think we've had similar uh, uh, experiences a little bit mm-hmm. which yeah. really helped and there was a connection but thank you so much to everybody hearing this and if there are any queries any concerns please please reach out to jasdeep she's the professional here and do reach out to your companies asking them to conduct these brain training uh, corporate mental wellbeing workshops by jasdeep which are trust me amazing if you think that your manager is not being empathetic enough just send an email to your hr asking them to call <laughs> <laughs> yeah please do that that would be great because <laughs> uh, at least then it's coming from inside the organization exactly. so then they have to take action they have to do it <laughs> perfect thank you so much everybody and this was your uh, podcast feel it in your brain by riya rustani thank you <laughs>